That's why the knot is scratch and sniff. That's right. We're going to have a scratch and sniff knot. Uh, oh, not really. <laughs> I don't know how to do that. We're not going to do that. We're a few episodes in, uh, but we haven't actually talked about the nod, which is uh, at least nominally the whole point of this show. So uh, let's let's talk about the noetic oracular deck and how how that relates to what we've been talking about. I think we got to talk about the mechanics of a spiritual slash religious experience, and then we can actually get into Austin Osmond's spare and his argument for an oracular deck, which is a Gnostic tool rather than tarot, which is a dogmatic tool. The existential terror and assault on identity that we've been talking about is what requires transcendent, maybe is the best word, experience and how that gets started. You know, this like, well, shit, do I even exist kind of thing. Uh, the, the inability of us as a subjective being to touch this objective empirical reality because it's the province of the divine. In order to get closer to that experience of an objective reality, you have to touch the divine. And that gives rise to the technology of transcendent experience, which at its heart utilizes that third dimension of time, that, that depth of the noosphere or abstraction, which is symbols. So a transcendent experience is, is manipulating symbols to raise us up out of an experience of our identity as a subjective unit beyond ourselves through what is called ego loss to touch that divine thing. It goes back to the, the agape orgy that we were talking about before, or what Jesus was saying, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. Everybody has experienced this one way or another, I think, for the religious, and I'm, of course, coming at this from a Catholic background, having been raised Catholic, and buying into it enough to really be able to take advantage of, again, what is a dogmatic technology, but, I, but, but effective when you buy into it, which is why, like, I've been to different kinds of Catholic churches. I've been to the post-Vatican II, I don't want to say dumbed down, but like something that's been made more palatable to the common man. A kind of, I'm sorry to say, Protestantification of Catholicism versus the old school, craggy, inaccessible Catholic ritual, what old school Catholics would call uh, smells and bells. Because <laughs> nice. uh, you got incense and stuff. Yeah. And that incense, for, for me, it, I find the old school Catholic ritual works better. And the incense is an important part of that because it fills everything with smoke. It taps into smell, which is the most primal of our senses, most linked to memory, famously, the more what we consider bestial forms of life, the, the prioritize smell over our visual primary sense. 
So anyways, yeah, I, I find that, that the Smells and Bells version, the, the Mark I version of that technology was very effective in giving me a transcendent experience. However, it, it is still dogmatic and therefore impersonal, inaccessible, you know, the whole Catholic thing. You have to go through the priest in order to get to the divine. Falling into that idea that, that there is an objective reality and we are subservient to the objective reality, my subjective reality doesn't count as much as the objective reality that only the priest can get me to. Yeah, and ultimately the Protestantism is about, you know, decreasing the, the obstacles between the human and, and God. Right, and so a very similar relationship develops between Aleister Crowley and Austin Osmond Spare. Crowley finds Spare, he's just an illustrator. Crowley goes to one of his shows and is like, yo, this is amazing. Come check out what I'm doing. And for a while, Spare is like, cool. And then Spare eventually realizes, you're a jerk. <laughs> uh, and he leaves and just starts doing it on his own. Eventually, he writes this thing called a book called Zaskia Kultus. And that's where I found the formula that I used to make the nod. And he makes this argument where he says, okay, we have tarot cards and all these guys that are at the center of our occult movement here, the lemma, the golden dawn. So the founders of the golden dawn, Samuel Little McGregor Mathers, William Wynne Westcott, all these guys, and then eventually Crowley himself, they had their own tarot card decks. You know, you have the Ryder Wyatt decks. Oh, Wyatt's another guy, Ryder Wyatt deck. McGregor Mathers uh, made the Marseille deck. Crowley had his Thoth deck. And they, they, they were really into this idea that like, these are ancient secrets, but they all developed their decks their own. The tarot card deck only goes back 1500 is when we find the oldest versions of, of this thing. So Spare says, look, they're all making it up. That's not to say that it doesn't work, but you can make up your own version that works too. And because Spare is kind of the Protestant of the Golden Dawn or the Lemma, he says that will work better for you. So he encourages you to go through this process and develop your own deck. I mean, he has this whole process of like, take a deck of playing cards, lay out the playing cards in a, you know, in a randomized order. Then you start to interpret why the cards are in that order. Right. And from that, you just have cards that have concepts written on them this concept follows this concept, this follows this concept. Then you start interpreting, you know, giving yourself readings using those, just those concepts, which start to develop, develop into symbols surrounding those concepts. So then you start writing those symbols on, uh, underneath the concept on the cards, which you eventually develop into imagery. Now you've got a deck, but it's a deck that is based on your personal subjective symbolarium rather than buying into this objective symbolarium. The technology that we're using when we're using tarot cards is a dogmatic objective technology of a hundred years ago 
filtered through something that they were were perceiving as being thousands of years old. They really were into Egypt because they didn't really know about Sumeria. So everything had to be related back to Egypt. That's why all the Masonic rites are called like the, the rite of Memphra, Memphis and Mizraim because they're trying to say like, we found this in some old casket. But really it's just that they were imagining this. And it works because you buy into it. We're, we're talking, you know, talking about these technologies being like incense or cards, that kind of thing. And I think that's maybe a little bit surprising <laughs> to, okay. to, to, hear, to hear those kinds of things described as technology. And I think I, I just want to dig in a little bit to what we mean when we talk about technology in this context. I think it has its roots in what we were talking about in our first episode, we're starting to look at the biosphere turning into this thing that where we started to see the, the products of human imagination. Mm-hmm. We started to see the tools that we were making. And that's when we first start thinking about technology and what that is. We're doing this technologically. And right before we started doing this, you said, I hate technology. Or you said, I hate computers, right? I do. Pretty similar. So I want to I talk about how this this continuum of technology works and what we're really talking about here. Okay. I kind of feel like then we have to talk about a truly bad man, Richard Dawkins. <laughs> he is. Yeah, I agree. A truly bad man, but who came up with one of the most important ideas in my life. Similar to how we've taken the noosphere, one of the most transcendent, beautiful things and turned it into, it's just the internet. Richard Dawkins came up with the idea of the meme, which is now the most vapid, insipid little idiot thing. But originally in the Dawkinsian sense, a meme is a unit of culture. It it relates to the biological gene. So any idea that has cultural significance is a meme. Breakfast is a meme. Democracy is a meme, or more properly, individual memes combined to create memeplexes. Although in one sense it is its own meme, it is a memeplex of memes. So when we're talking about a noetic technology, things like tarot cards, the Catholic mass, a political rally, or even breakfast, maybe even more, more appropriately, family dinner, what we're talking about is a, a, a system of memes, a memeplex that has been designed to a specific end. And so the technology of a spiritual experience or a transcendent experience is a memeplex that is designed to release you from your own subjective experience and tap into something that is closer to that, for lack of a better word, divine, objective experience, a system of ego loss. The whole coming of age rituals are a a major part of this. uh, Here's another place to talk about Robert Anton Wilson, the book Prometheus Rising. He is describing the like fundamental theory of how these machines work. Of course, through Timothy Leary's 
concept, circuit. the yeah. of the mind, which isn't necessary, but it's a, it's a useful model. Whether or not it's true with a big old T, I don't know, but it clearly works as Robert N. Wilson shows through Patty Hearst is, is one of his big examples, you yeah. know, cult programming, or if you're offended by cult, just church programming, uh, indoctrination. It's an indoctrination. And Robert Anton Wilson, like Spare before him, Bob is clearly playing off of Spare, even though he's more into Crawley. Spare and Crawley were talking about the same things. It's just that Crawley was saying, follow me. And Spare was like, follow yourself. Yeah, and that's, that's where you see Crowley saying, you know, the method of science with the aim of religion, that requires a certain amount of dogma, whereas Spare's, Spare's thinking is a lot more uncoupled from this uh, idea of, like, rigor. <laughs> uh, at least rigor that exists outside of one's own capacity to, like, imagine and think about something. Right, right. The problem with dogma is you accept an objectivity as your sub, your subjective experience. And, and so that either negates your subjective experience or requires your subjective experience to attack and obliterate other people's subjective experience so that you can convince someone that your subjective experience is more objective than it necessarily is. Which of course leads to pogroms and crusades and racism or culturism. Yes. I mean, all the isms, racism, classism, and any, any, any person who is part of a different memoplex than you are must die. Or at least the memoplex must be destroyed because it's a threat to your memoplex. It's all battling ideology. Which is something that our concept of the noosphere is trying to fix, you know. <laughs> or at like, least acknowledge. Yeah, at least acknowledge, at least acknowledge. But that, that it leads to the um, problems and, and, and fear that we were talking about before, the frustration that people would have when in this model I can say, oh, well, yeah, you can totally disagree with me. I still think that you can be true when, I, when I'm true. You're just in a different part of the noosphere than me. You're, you're over my horizon of the possible. And that kind of brings us to my theory of divination or oracularism. The, the theory that I was using to develop this deck, the Nod. And we can go back to my noetic model, the Kazeric noetic model. What we're doing when we're using this memoplex or any transcendent memoplex, I believe, these are purely my ideas, you're taking a, a memoplex, a set of symbols, and climbing them, basically. You take a specific thing, your experience, and randomization is vitally important here. As Spare mentions in his formula, you, the, the first thing you do is you get a pack of cards and you shuffle them. And this is, this is always the first part of any cartomantic pursuit. Same thing in I Ching. Same thing in, like, runic divination. Uh, tea leaves. You, you're always stirring it up. Exactly. Exactly. You you want to you want to randomize the symbols, and then the symbols are laid out, 
and you interpret them. The interpretation is is the true focus of the of, of what's happening here. That that's where the technology is at work is is through the interpretation. Is the process by which you climb these abstract symbols that exist deeper in the noosphere than you to approach the that central omega point and gain a per, a, a perspective. If if you're only analyzing existence through your subjective reality, you are confined to your subjective reality, a, a, a reality tunnel. There's a German word for it, whether Weltachtlung or something like that. Yeah. Bad at German. And even like when you go to your friend for advice on something, you're doing the same thing, except you're just jumping to another very concrete memoplex that exists on that concrete skin of the noosphere. By creating a randomized abstract point of view and reinterpreting your specific concrete experience into this abstraction, you grow your perspective. If we're looking at this model of Mercury as the noosphere and you're here, you have you can only see this bit of it. But if we if if we look at ourselves as climbing up through symbols or into this sphere, uh, it's like climbing a watchtower in the forest. The fire watchers climb up to be able to spot forest fires. On the ground, I can see this far. But once I raise my perspective, I can see much farther. Right. That's all we're doing here. We're we're being able to look at probabilities that are farther away. And uh, something that we started talking about in the last episode was this idea of the self as something that is both projected upon us and projected outward. And so our being is this feedback loop of us as we see ourselves, us as we, as we see other people and us as other people see us. Um, and then probably a few other things as well. And so there's, I know that with the, the nod spread, the, like the actual configuration of the cards as they're laid out, this is implicit. Like there's, there's an implicit recognition of the self as, um, as we see ourselves, as others see us and beyond. And I think that that's, that's a really valuable part of perspective. If you're not able to see yourself as an amalgamation of, of these different possible selves, then you're going to be stuck in, in just one version of that. If you live a life locked in your own perspective uh, and you don't step outside of what we're going to call your ego, then that is going to be your full existence and it is going to be small. If you utilize technology to step beyond your ego, that then your your full experience grows and therefore you are are growing you are you have a larger existence and this has you know supernal esoteric aspects where like you just can experience more but also we we've kind of touched upon empathy if if ego is self and not ego is other Climbing, using this technology to experience ego loss, to grow your perspective, other can become included in self more. 
you can start to recognize that self and other is not, are, they're, they're not discrete uh, memes, but again, part of a spectrum. And it aids, it aids not just in you being able to see other people's perspective, it helps you in communicating yourself. So the part of you that's living in other people can have Congress with the part that, of you that's living inside of you so that those two things can match up and have a synergy that they wouldn't. They, they would be fighting if you're like, I, I am this, I am poor. And somebody else is like, you are not poor, you are dirt. Stepping outside, of, if, if both parties are stepping out, it, and now we're getting into like masks, wearing masks to prevent COVID. If I'm just wearing a mask to, to, to prevent COVID, that, that, that has one, one degree of effectiveness. If you're wearing a mask to prevent COVID, that's another degree of effectiveness. But if we're both doing it, it's the most effective way to prevent COVID. This is the opposite direction. If, if I'm open to your perspective of me as being a part of my reality, that makes communication one level of more effective. If we're both being open to the fact that we're creating our identities together in real time right now, then everything explodes into this huge just combustion of possibility. And we, we occupy a larger space on the noosphere. Now, that is not a process that's ever done. Hi, Mark from the future here. I realized as I was editing this video that we talked about the nod for well over an hour, so this is going to be our first two-parter. Please like this video, subscribe to Mercury Theatre Television, and check back next week for the rest of this discussion.